This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Bloomberg Quick Takes Tim Stenovic from Bloomberg Radio. We've got another edition of Bloomberg Business Week Talks, and the chairman and CEO of Raytheon Technologies is with me in our interactive broker studio. They are the second largest defense company in the United States. Sitting next to me is Greg Hayes. Um, Greg, so nice to have you here with us. Thanks for having me. So uh, I feel like there's a million places I want to start, but maybe where I need to start is let's talk about today. We have we heard from Fed Chief Jay Powell again. If I may, you and I were talking before we got started, and, and we were talking about transitory. What is transitory? Is that a word that CEOs can get their head around? You know, I, I asked that question you know several weeks ago when I first heard uh, Chairman Powell talk about the effect of transitory price increases, and I. My concern there is what is really transitory? Because if you start to see inflation in labor, that's not transitory because labor costs don't go down. They may go up more slowly, but what we're seeing right now is a lot of, pre- or a lot of cost pressure uh, at the very low end of the, the labor scale, and I don't think that goes away. Now, will that translate into higher prices across all of the, the economic spectrum? I don't know. But we're also we're seeing inflation in commodities and mm-hmm. some of the raw materials as well. It's impacting what you guys are doing. Absolutely, every day. And so I, I worry that transitory, especially with all of these deficits that we, you know, two, we're talking two and a half trillion dollar deficits, we're pumping a lot of money into the economy. People are flushed with cash. They're going to spend it. That's going to drive prices up. Are we going to get off of that drug soon? I don't think so. Would you go as so far to say that Fed policy is wrong based on what you're seeing in terms of economic growth and momentum from your clients and customers? Well, I don't know that I would say Chairman Powell is necessarily wrong. I think we have to think about not just Fed policy, monetary policy, but fiscal policy. That is, how much can we continue to borrow mm-hmm. and, and burden the next generation and the generation after that with these huge deficits? just to satisfy our, our desire to have faster growth today. Is it better to have slower, steadier growth that is more sustainable? And I think that's the, that's the calculus we have to think about. There's, it's not just monetary, it's fiscal policy as well. So when you look at the economic growth trajectory, or trajectory, excuse me, over the next six to 12 months, how does it look to you? It's great. I mean, if, as I think about it, and we, you know, we have two businesses at Raytheon Technology. We have a commercial aerospace business, right. which was just devastated last year, down 50%. And then we have a very, very big defense business. Both of those businesses are going to experience growth in the next 12 months, in the next two or three years. But I think the growth on the commercial aero side, because we're coming off such a low base, is going to be phenomenal. And I think that's the... That's the thing that gives me gives me hope. But I think again, the, the overall economy, we're probably going to see six, seven percent GDP growth this year. We haven't seen that in forever. And the question is, when you get that, is inflation then inevitable? But do you think that's sustainable? That six to seven percent. I mean, listen, we're coming from a Peace. terrible situation. Peace. I think it really goes back to this fiscal policy. Do we continue to pump money into the economy? Because that is what's going to drive this kind of outsized growth in the near term, because people will have cash. I want to talk about commercial aerospace. I'm just curious, are your executives, you and I were talking to how much you were able to work at home, right? You weren't flying around on planes. Planes are important to you right. in what you do. Um, what do you anticipate for business travel? What are your guys doing in terms of business travel? So interestingly, you know, we just really resumed business travel within the last month or so, where mm-hmm. I've been out on the road visiting factories, uh, talking to folks uh, on, the, on the front lines in the shops and in the, in the uh, engineering organizations around the, the, uh, the company. And we're starting to see it pick up, but certainly business travel is forever changed, I would think, because of Zoom. We don't go back to pre-pandemic levels? Well, again, if you think about commercial air traffic, about 70% of commercial air traffic is... Um, for uh, leisure. 
that has come back and it's come back faster mm-hmm. stronger than I think anybody would have said now you can just you know talk to Gary Kelly at Southwest or Doug Parker at American I think they were on this morning talking about that yeah the 30% of business travel is the question and what we think is like half of that 15% of the total is mandatory travel that is we got to send our technicians out to visit our products we've got to service our products that's going to come back and it will come back relatively quickly you know will we still see big conventions in Las Vegas will we still see you know, get, get together for sales conventions. I, I think that will come back. But there's the other question, will all of it come back and mm-hmm. how soon? Our own views, we probably don't see a full recovery in business travel until 2024, 2025. Wow. But again, you know, maybe, I, I hope we're wrong. But it's, again, it's Zoom has, Zoom or, or WebEx or whatever your, your favorite. Pick your choice. Pick, pick, your, <laughs> yeah, pick your, uh, your vehicle. But the fact is it's really changed our thinking in terms of productivity. And that, I think about return to the office. You know, we've had uh, 100,000 people showing up to the factory floors or the engineering organizations every day during the pandemic. But I've had 80,000 people working at home. And I don't think all 80,000 will ever come back. So th- this is a, a fundamental change in the, in the economy and how we do business. There's a lot of deals going on. You guys just finished <laughs> a big deal combining assets and combining with United Technologies assets. And then you took over as the CEO of it all. Uh, and that was just as the pandemic was getting going. How tough was it to get that deal done and in, ter- in terms of the backdrop of where we were? So you, you have to really step back and think at, at UTC over the last couple of years, we had done a lot of M&A. But we really made a decision uh, in 2018, after we had uh, purchased Rockwell Collins, that we were going to split off into three businesses. Otis Elevator as a standalone business, Carrier as a standalone business, right. and then UTC Arrow as a standalone business. As we were in the middle of that, those three spins, uh, Tom Kennedy, who was the ch- uh, chairman and CEO of Raytheon, called me and said, we should do a deal. Right which I thought was absolutely insane at the time, but... <laughs> but hey, but hey, here you, know, you are. Here we are. Um, and it turned out, and again, the more Tom and I talked about it, the, the more sense it made, but the last you know, four weeks before the deal closed, and we closed on April 3rd of, of last year, right. we were working from home. And the commercial airline industry was absolutely in the tank. Did you have a moment where you're like, oh my God, what, what did we just do? <laughs> <laughs> Probably not, because you've thought it through. And you're, well, you, I, I think there, you know, there, was, there was a question, because we had made some big commitments to share owners. If we were to bring this company together, we said we're going to return 18 to $20 billion of cash to share owners in the first three years after the merger. And it became very apparent that that was going to be tough to do. Right. And so, we, you know, we quickly pivoted and said, okay, it's going to take us four years. But we had faith that the commercial aerospace business was going to come back. We continued to pay a very good dividend. We continued to, to drive cash. We took a lot of cost out of the business. And it was interesting. I, I always tell people, you know, let's not waste a good crisis. And I know that's probably no, overused. No, we've heard it from a lot of leaders. The, I don't the think they're wrong. The fact is, the, the crisis, that crisis gave us a chance to reshape the company. We were able to take a cost out that we thought was um, impossible to do. So I think, again, it gave us the impetus to do the really hard things that sometimes people don't want to do. So if there's a net-net, Greg, in terms of what you – and we were talking with Greg Hayes of Raytheon Technologies. He's, of course, the CEO. What did you learn from that merger? Is there something and, – and, again, it was like I feel like that was happening and then the pandemic layered on top. But is there something when you do a consolidation like that, uh, a merging of cultures, what did what do you learn from it? So interestingly, um, you know, we had an aerospace and defense business at UTC, which was about $45 billion, merging with a $25 billion primarily defense business. Mm-hmm. 
what we found is that the cultures weren't all that different, but we spent a lot of time talking about values. Because to bring two companies together, you have to make sure that your values are the same. Agreed. So we talked about diversity, equity, and inclusion. We talked about the need to trust one another. We talked about the need to empower our workforce. These are things that, I, that resonated with our workforce, and it really it allowed us to come together by focusing not on you know, a business problem, but on the values that we bring and upon the mission that we have. And I always say the mission of Raytheon Technologies is to solve our customers' hardest problems. And that is, that is something that resonates with people. When they have a mission, they come to work and they enjoy what they do. Part of that mission is innovation. Uh, you guys spend a lot on R&D. What is the innovation for you guys going forward? And I think about things like AI. Is that increasingly a part of whether you look at how defense systems are operating or, or will? Well, look, you know, AI is table stakes, I think, in, in, the next, in the next battle space. If you think about the challenge of, of the next war, the future war, it's a war that will be fought in cyberspace yeah. and outer space. And the key to defending this country, defending our allies, is having real-time information. And that means taking uh, data off of a satellite, taking data off of an undersea sensor, off of an airborne sensor, processing it quickly and getting it to a combatant commander in, in, a, in the time frame that he can make an actionable decision. And i just give you one example. Um, last December, we worked with the Missile Defense Agency, and we um, detected, we, we did a test, we launched, or the uh, Navy launched an ICBM off of the coast of Australia. Our sensors up in space picked it up, tracked it down to our ground station, fed it out to a ship in the Pacific, uh, set, transmitted that to our missile, one of our missiles, an SM-23A, launched and intercepted the missile over Hawaii. All of that without human intervention. Which is phenomenal. That's what AI is. You have to have that type of machine learning AI if you're going to be successful because hypersonics are coming. Right. right. Think about hypersonics, right? You were talking about things that travel Mach 5 plus. You don't have time for someone to say, how do I target that? Right. You have to have the systems that know how to get to those things and can take action. So that's increasingly our defense world. It's not my fa father who fought in World War II. It's not that kind of, and we know it hasn't been that way, hand-to-hand -hand combat or, or people on the ground. This is where it's increasingly going. It's, it's technology versus technology. Uh, you know, we, we've, we've lulled ourselves into a sense of complacency in these last 20 years because of this, the asymmetric nature of war against terrorists. The fact is the Chinese and Russians have been spending a lot of money. They're ahead of us on hypersonics. Mm -hmm. We have to catch up. Um, but again, the, the idea, you know, we're a defense business, and the, that word is important because the, having a strong defense is about deterrence. And the best way to prevent a war is to make sure your, your enemy or frenemy right. understands that there's no winning this. And I think that's where we're trying to solve. When we think about biggest break, break, breakthrough for your industry, is it hypersonics? Is that the thing that you think will... will so, I've never heard of that, so it was interesting to have you talk about it. Is that where we're going? Is that so the biggest breakthrough? Speed uh, trumps speed. stealth. So we've talked about stealth for the last 30 years. We're going to mm -hmm. have stealthy airplanes. Uh, but the fact is, if you can have, and, and hypersonics, they you know, start at, at, at Mach 5, but you're talking about up to Mach 20, which is about 17,000 miles an hour. Fast. Fast. Right, really fast. The ability to defend against hypersonics is a huge market. And I think about Raytheon Technologies. So we have missiles, the SM-3, the SM-6, that can intercept these missiles in space. But also, we're, we're going to have a layered defense, and so you're going to use high-powered microwaves. You're going to use high-powered lasers. You're going to use a multitude of layered defenses. And that's really where we're going to focus our investment. You know, we're going to spend $6 billion on R&D this year. Mm -hmm. A big number. Yeah. But we have to stay ahead of the game. 
Right, right. We've seen that in terms of, we've learned that certainly with the cybersecurity world. What do you think of the billionaires going into space? Is this a good, I know, I know. I, 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 either, I either thought you were going to think I'm crazy, but, yeah. but I do wonder about the private sector increasingly. I grew up with a dad who was involved in the space program. It was all government, you know, with contractors, but this is now private sector led. Yeah, so interestingly, space tourism will be a niche market for a long time at $250,000 a ride. A long, long time? Well, 10 or 15 years, okay. which is about my planning horizon. Um, yeah. Then I'll be too old to worry about it. Um, but the, fa yeah. Yeah. The, the fact is, I think you know, what they have done with um, commercialization of space transport is phenomenal. I, I would have never believed that you know, NASA was not going to be the provider yeah. of rockets to space. So I think tourism will be a niche market. But if you think about what's happening with satellite communication, right, low Earth orbit, um, everything that Starlink, that, that Elon's got up there for, for Internet access, there will be thousands and thousands of satellites going around the Earth to provide real-time, whether it's weather data, internet access, communications links, whatever it might be. So space is, is, is the fastest growing market. Hey, one last question, um, and I'm going to try and squeeze this in. The Boeing 737, this is, I know you guys are involved. It's important to your bottom line. What do you think is the outlook for that? So I think, you know, Dave Calhoun has, has said it well. I think, you know, we've, we've got to get people confident in the airframe. And I would tell you that it is, a, it is a great airframe. We we have a lot of content on that airframe. We do the avionics. We do a number of different systems. Um, I think the FAA has been uh, very, very proactive in trying to assure that as a return to flight, it's going to be safe. And I firmly believe it is a very safe aircraft. Having said that, I think, you know, Airbus has done a great job of taking advantage of the situation. Right. And, you know, Guillaume's done, done a great job. He's, he's got an aircraft that's got, got a little bit more capability. He's got a little bit better engine, Pratt & Whitney's. Yeah. Um, <laughs> not, <laughs> little uh, plug. Little plug there. Um, but I think it's, uh, you know, it's, it is a good aircraft. And I think, you know, there's, there's room in the market for both Boeing and Airbus in that narrow body space. All right. Going to leave it there. Please come back. I love this um, and love to talk more because you guys are really at the intersection of so much uh, commercially as well as defense-wise. Greg, thank you so much. Greg Hayes, he's the chairman and CEO of Raytheon.